On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be chatting about the LRT. Yes, the LRT, not coronavirus today, the LRT, because there are questions. Now that this committee has come back and said, well, you know, we should have some sort of higher level transit in the system. What does that mean? And more importantly, where is the money coming from? Because heaven knows the economy is in bad, bad shape right now. We'll talk about that. We're also going to chat about Terry Fox. 40 years ago Sunday, Terry Fox began his Marathon of Hope. There's a Hamilton guy with a very interesting connection to Terry Fox, who we will chat with. And Don Robertson joins us talking about what sports we aren't re-watching. Because everyone's re-watching something right now because they just keep replaying old games. What are we watching or not watching? And how can they make them interesting for those of us who aren't watching or re-watching so much of what we aren't re-watching. Is that clear? Stick around, it'll clear up. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Uh, you probably heard by now that the transit committee that was struck by the province to look into the billion dollars that we apparently are getting from the province and was not going to be LRT, then was, then what? Well, you know, you know what the situation is. That report, that committee returned with its report last week. Some have called it the LRT committee. It's really not the LRT committee. It was a transit committee looking into what would be the best form of infrastructure or transit or something. And it came back with a suggestion that that billion dollars should go towards some form of higher level transit. But, and here's the but, I don't think too many people believe anymore that the LRT as visualized can really be built for a billion dollars. A lot of people see that as a stretch. It's going to cost more and that money uh, probably is going to have to come from the city. Maybe the feds chip in, but probably has to come from the city. And when we come out of this coronavirus situation, our economy is going to be hurting. And so you've already got people saying they can't pay their taxes, yet cities can't run deficits or build operating debts, meaning we're going to be in a bit of a spot here. Either municipal taxes are going to have to go up considerably to cover all this lost money, because remember, we can't run a deficit or build operating debts, or the province or federal governments are going to have to come bail out the cities. Well, you can see the problem that we're already running into, right? Because if municipal taxes suddenly have to go up to recover money we've already spent, they would have to go up even more if we're going to spend more money on some sort of new transit system. And if the higher levels of government say, no, no, don't worry about that. We're going to cover your deficits or your debts. Well, they're already throwing tens and hundreds of billions of dollars into getting us through this situation. Are they going to be wanting to spend more billions of dollars for projects like this? So what do we do with it? What do we do with this? Well, Ward 15 Councillor Judy Partridge joins me on the air. Now, Judy, how are you today? I'm well, Scott. How are you? Happy Easter money. Yeah, thank you to you as well. Uh, you've written about this. You've talked about this. You've been in the middle of all the discussions that have gone on at City Council. I think literally all the discussions. I think you've been on council long enough to have been through them all. Uh, what now? Well, I think, you know, first of all, the panel came forward with their recommendations, and you're quite right. It is a transportation panel. It is not the LRT panel. And, you know, quite honestly, when the panel was struck to um, and given this task, which they all took on, uh, it was before the pandemic. It was before COVID-19 had really um, hit the way that it has and before all of the uh, legislation came down to put us into lockdown. So we're in a very different place today than, than we were. Absolutely. We're in two different worlds. When they mm-hmm. started, that it was a completely different situation. The economy was humming along and every, you know, it was more just a fight of how do we spend a billion rather than do we have a billion? Right. And I just want to clarify, um, we're not getting a billion dollars. We never were getting a billion dollars. And I'm talking about the city of Hamilton. That billion dollars was going to Metrolinks to build... The LRT at the time, then that was cancelled. So, you know, I think folks are still maybe a little bit confused, thinking that the province is going to give Hamilton a billion dollars, and that at the end of the day, maybe we could spend it however we want to. The city is not getting one penny of that billion dollars to spend as we want to. Okay, regardless, and good point. I mean, it's a fair point for sure. Mm -hmm. But regardless of where the money is going, do you see at the end of this, considering where the economy is right now and what the provincial and federal governments have had to do, do you honestly see a billion dollars coming our way at the end of this? 
Well, that question I can't answer. We have heard all the way along that we that the billion dollars is going to be put into transit development within the city of Hamilton. I mean, until I hear differently, you know. But what I can tell you is that City Council has never received any kind of a memorandum of agreement that stipulates exactly what the costs are going to be. So who's paying for the operating and the maintenance costs going forward? Let's say that it could be built for the billion dollars, which, you know, and whatever that is. I'm not on side for LRT. I have said that all the way along, and I've been pretty much upfront about it. Uh, we don't know what the costs are going to be going down the road. Which, again, in this uh, economic and world climate, becomes even more of a question mark, I would think, for a lot of people. Very much so. Um, you know, if you were to go to the residents of the city of Hamilton right now and, and say to them, you know, that your taxes are going to go up considerably uh, because the city has to pay for the operating and maintenance, you would get one answer. I think you'd get a very different answer than, you know, what, what some people are saying right now. But my, you know, my point is we do not know what the costs are going to be and we do not know who's going to pay for them. That billion dollars investment into uh, transit for the city of Hamilton is not going to pay the ongoing operating costs or the maintenance cost. And, you know, from step one, the, to me, the whole um, idea of improving our transit, it really needs to be able to service all the communities within the city of Hamilton. And, you know, the city of Hamilton is not just a downtown and a west end and an east end. It is a community of many different downtowns. You know, we have six or seven of them. So we have a downtown in Stony Creek, in Ancaster, in Glanbrook, Binbrook area, Waterdown, Ancaster, Dundas, several downtowns. And to me, until you have an adequate transit system that can connect everybody within those communities together, you don't have an efficient or an economical, uh, sustainable transit system. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. LRT, the topic that I am convinced will be on all of our headstones when we die someday, saying, I I lived through LRT and it still was not resolved when I died. Uh, Maybe being a little pessimistic. Anyway, uh, talking with Judy Partridge, Ward 15 Councillor, about the report that has come back from the committee the province struck that has urged some form of higher level transit, which, uh, Judy, it's an interesting um, interpretation that's been going around in the last couple days because I think most people have interpreted this to be whatever they feel strongly that it should be. The the folks who are very much pro-LRT have come out and said, this report says we should have LRT. And those who are in favor of bus rapid transit are saying, no, it's about BRT. And y- you can kind of take this however you want to take this. Well, I think, <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, people are going to spin it however they want to. But let's, let's uh, you know, just be clear, the report did not recommend LRT. It didn't recommend BRT. It did recommend higher order transit. So it also recommended that there be further studying done. And I've heard comments about, well, we've studied LRT to death. We've studied BRT to death. Well, the last analysis that was done of any kind of a a BRT was, uh, oh, geez, I think it was before I was on council. So it was before 2010. And today is very, very different. Um, everything is different. The economy is different. Um, so, you know, it, there, there is, I think it is warranted to have some, f- some further studies done. But you're going to hear, uh, you know, different spin from different, uh, different people who, who want to make it. Uh, it's an LRT report. It's not an LRT report. It did not recommend that. Will this not, though, uh, and I know I'm asking you something that you don't really know the answer to, but I think you have a pretty good idea. Is this not simply going to spark the bonfire again at City Council, and this is now going to start the whole thing again from almost from the, not from the start, but it's going to start the whole thing again, isn't it? Well, I mean, not from my perspective, it isn't. We have much bigger things that we need to focus on right now. Uh, COVID-19, you're absolutely right. It's very high on, on everyone's minds and very much concern. 
um, the money that's being spent on COVID-19 uh, federally, provincially, and municipally is massive. And we are not going to come out of this going right back to the, the, the budget that we just approved. Um, it seems like forever ago now, but it was just a couple of weeks ago. That is that is changed, and it and it's it's moving every day. It's getting it's a very fluid um, uh, situation that we're in, and we don't even know how long it's going to be. So you know, I, I was listening. I have a son who lives in Vancouver. Uh, he's doing very well. I have another one in Quebec City. He's doing very well. They're staying hunkered down, but I just heard that Vancouver is you know potentially. Somebody mentioned about bankruptcy, and uh, it's taking a massive toll on municipalities right across this country. So to, I'm not convinced that this is going to become the uproar at city council. Uh, I don't think the mood, I can't speak for other councillors, and nor would I, but I, the mood around that table right now is that we need to deal, excuse me, deal with what is, is right in front of us on our plates and, you know, we need to make some very prudent and uh, very real decisions. But this has been a, uh, a, a legacy issue for a number of councillors, including the mayor. And, and I, I find it very hard to believe that even in spite of what we're dealing with, that everybody's just going to say, OK, we'll put that aside for the next five or 10 years and deal with it later. I, I, I can't possibly imagine that. Oh, I'm definitely not suggesting that. There are going to be some that are going to, um, uh, you know, perhaps make this uh, something a little more than what council needs to be dealing with right now. But that does, you know, it doesn't mean that they're not going to raise it and bring it back. But right now it's not with council. Um, it is with, you know, it's with the province. And until further decisions are made, the studies are done. It's up to Metrolinks now and uh, Infrastructure Ontario, I.O., I believe they're going to be doing some of the studies and analysis. So the decision isn't with council. It's not an item that we need to pay any particular attention to, other than being absolutely aware of what's in that report and doing our due diligence, which we all do. But in terms of it coming back to the table tomorrow and, and you know, creating a big uproar, I don't see that happening. No, I don't think, t- not, not tomorrow, but... Um... I, I don't want to make a bet with you, <laughs> but, oh, come I, on, Scott. but I have a feeling <laughs> it is going to be an uproar again at some point. I just don't know when that will be. Uh, Ward 15 Councillor Judy Partridge, really appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this in these times. Thanks so much, Scott. And listen, be well and be safe. Okay to you, you and your family. You as well. Thank you, dear. Uh, two other things just to contemplate about the discussion that's going to be coming up about this. One of them is, I heard someone say the other day, do we still have a demand, a desire, a hunger for the kind of transit that we've had when now people are maybe a little squeamish about getting all jammed together in small spaces? I don't know the answer to that question. I I mean, I assume that this is going to pass and that we're going to go back to some form of normalcy, but I don't know. And the second part is, are we going to still need the kind of transit we've needed before when so many people have learned they can work from home, that there may be a whole lot fewer people working out of the house? Again, I don't know the answer to that one, but it's another thing I assume is going to come up. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Yesterday, April the 12th, 1980, was 40 years ago that Terry Fox dipped his foot into the Atlantic Ocean in St. John's and began his marathon of hope. And if you, you know, I've said this before a few times, maybe a lot of times, about certain events, and I've said, if you were of a certain age, you'd probably remember. Look, if you are of an age over, well, almost any age now, because it's been such a lingering thing in a good way. I mean, is there anybody in Canada who doesn't know who Terry Fox is? Is there anybody in Canada that doesn't know the story of Terry Fox and the Marathon of Hope? If there is, um, you know what, that should certainly be on our citizenship test. Honestly, it really should. And anyone who lives here and has lived here all along, if you can't tell us about Terry Fox, you should have to go back and learn about it. It's that important. Now, after this was all done, Lots of stuff was done about it. We've seen toonies and loonies and statues and buildings and schools and everything else. There was also been movies made about Terry Fox, appropriately. And one of the guys who played him, now he didn't play the face, he didn't play the character, but he played Terry Fox's body, which is 
recognizable, certainly, uh, is Grant Darby, who is a Hamilton guy, who is also a teacher at Bernie Custis School, who joins us now. Grant, how are you tonight? Doing fabulous, Scott. Thanks for having me. Uh, listen, uh, thrilled to have you. I mean, it's a great anniversary day because even though it's a sad thing that Terry Fox died, I mean, is there, is there another Canadian story that is more uplifting and inspiring? I don't know which one it is. I can't think of one at all. It was an uh, amazing story for me, of course, uh, myself losing my leg uh, at the age of 18, uh, similar to Terry Fox. And it was only a year before I found out I was going to lose my leg that uh, Terry Fox had, had done his uh, Marathon of Hope. And, and seeing what was possible, it was just a, an inspiration to me. And, and once I knew what was going to happen to me, I was going to lose my leg to cancer, I thought, okay, let's uh, move on and, and see what sort of uh, prosthetic device you can get to, to me so I can go on and, and start doing some things like, like Terry Fox did. So, so uh, when he came, huge inspiration. When he came through, you were 17, I think, when he I came through Hamilton. Correct, yes. And uh, you didn't, as you say, you didn't lose your leg for another year, but at that time, did you know you had any kind of cancer or anything wrong with your leg when he came through here? I had had cancer earlier when I was 12, and it was a reoccurrence. So I'd uh, beaten cancer once at that point, um, and then it was a reoccurrence when I was 18, that uh, year after Terry did his thing, that I found out uh, I had cancer a second time. So at, at 17, you're, you're almost an adult. You're certainly old enough mm-hmm. to be aware of everything. D- do you remember, did that day when he came through Hamilton, did, do you remember watching or paying attention or being uh, aware? I, I saw it on the news. Unfortunately, I was up at the family cottage up north when he came through Hamilton and didn't uh, get to see him uh, come through the city, but I saw it on the news, and, uh, yeah, it was just uh, just riveting for me having been a cancer survivor at that point. Uh, you weren't there, but what, what does it mean to you now? See, seeing what Terry Fox had done, as I said, is just an inspiration, but he's, he did so much more than just uh, what, what he did for raising the dollars to, to help so many people beat the dreaded disease, but just seeing what he did for people that that had obstacles and disabilities and being able to overcome those things and go out and let people just have a dream and a goal and going out and and try to accomplish those things and he just set so many goals for so many people and uh, he's just definitely a a Canadian hero as you said at the outset there Um, something that everybody every Canadian should know uh, what Terry Fox has done for Canada Probably because of the uh, proximity, time-wise, to when you lost your leg. When you had to go in and have your leg amputated, how many people pointed to or talked about or mentioned Terry Fox to try? Good-hearted people who were trying to help you and, and boost your spirits. And how many how many times was Terry Fox mentioned to you? Oh, just over and over again, just, just seeing again what was possible. And we, we all knew what was possible because you, you think of an individual that goes out and runs a marathon a day for... Uh, it was 143 days, I think it was, day after day, to be able to do that with a, a, an artificial leg. It was just, okay, the, the world's, you know, anywhere you can go, you can do these sorts of things. It just uh, shown us what was possible. Do people still, I mean, you must have contact still with people in the cancer community, or, I mean, I, I know you've organized Terry Fox runs. Do people still, for people who are now going through what you went through, do they still cite him? Absolutely. Just, just seeing what's possible, and we, we as you know, we, we have the, the runs every year. We have school runs going on, and, and people see what's going on those, and I still have a chance uh, from time to time to, to talk to groups at schools, and, and afterwards, uh, people will come up, and they'll, they'll talk about what Terry Fox means to them, because they know somebody that's gone through a battle with cancer, and he's still uh, in the minds of, of, of many, every, everybody out there, for sure. So how, years later, and I think it was, uh, well, the, the movie was made in 2005, or at least it was released in 2005, so 25 years after. How did you end up getting the part, at least the running part of Terry Fox? Yeah, I had uh, started uh, doing triathlon at that point, paratriathlon, and uh, through the Ontario Amputee Sports Association, there was sort of feelers that went out looking for somebody that could do that role of a, a photo double for, for Terry in, in the movie, and they auditioned... Uh, four or five of us across the country, and uh, I was the one that uh, fit the, the body double for Sean Ashmore, who was playing the, the lead role of, of Terry in the movie. And uh, it was an amazing experience just to, uh, in some ways, give back to uh, let people, remind people of the, the story of Terry Fox. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are chatting with Grant Darby. Grant is a teacher here in town at Bernie Custis 
secondary, but he is also a very accomplished Paralympian in, in triathlon, and he is a guy who played Terry Fox, at least the double, the body part, the running part in the movie Terry that was made a number of years ago, because today, of course, yesterday is the 40th anniversary of the, mir- uh, the marathon of hope starting. Uh, Grant, how long did you have to practice running like that to get the run just right, or was that how you already were running? Yeah, I was fortunate. That's how I was running at the time. I was still using an older leg, not as as old as uh, the type Terry used back in uh, 1980 there, but uh, I, I still used that, that hop-skip-run when I uh, started out in triathlon, which was back in about 1999 when I, I started with the sport. Uh, did it hurt? No, it... Problem with running, what was fine when I was actually running, it's just if I was trying to do sort of runs back to back day after day, I had to figure out my training properly uh, when I was training for, for triathlon. It was interesting doing the, the movie part because we'd only be running very short distances for, for movie takes where I would want to actually go out and get a workout, and they uh, didn't want me to do that. They wanted to keep me fresh for uh, the different takes we were doing. <laughs> I have seen photos, I believe, of you dressed as Terry Fox for Terry Fox Runs, correct? Correct. I did a few uh, throughout the city for a number of years after uh, the movie in 05, yes. What kind of comments do you get? Because, I mean, there are people who have dressed as him I've seen, but they have both their legs and their kids or whatever. To have an adult who runs like that miss a leg looking like him what was the response yeah and young kids look and they they have to do a double take for sure and they they think of terry and it's interesting because they reflect back to actually doing a a shot uh, in the in the film when we made it back in 2005 and we were running down university avenue and there was a bunch of actual cancer patients young kids out there uh, watching us do the film and they were actually part of the film uh as the camera hand by them and uh sean ashmore went through and would do the scene and then i ran through afterwards so the actual actor goes through first and then i run through the second time with my wig on and the artificial leg and everything and uh, the young kid looks up to mom and says look here comes the real terry fox now mom so uh, <laughs> yeah it was uh, interesting we had all the, the get up going even though i was a few years older than terry at the time do you still have students at your school who know anything about your connection that way oh absolutely they, they still do and uh uh, we've done a few assemblies different years at the school, and there's still a, a few kids that uh, have seen uh, parts of the movie, and I talk about it to them and uh, give them some updates and what have you. There are two elements, I would suggest, to what Terry Fox did, and one of them obviously is the money and the raising awareness and the money for cancer and everything else, but there's a second part, and that is 40 years ago, the idea of somebody with only one leg running, let alone running a marathon, let alone running a marathon every day would have been entirely strange that's that's changed a lot in 40 years i'm guessing absolutely the the prosthetics uh, have changed to allow people to go out and take part in in everyday activities and, and even more than everyday activities go out and do uh, in some ways extreme sports if they choose uh the basic leg that terry used what well, it was a very basic leg and it was uh what i think of it is my training unit the the leg that i first started to learn how to walk all over again when you get to that point I had an opportunity to work with Shadok Hospital here, and they developed what they called at the time the Terry Fox running prosthesis, and it was a very basic concept that had a spring in it to try to return some energy, but unfortunately that energy sort of got returned more upwards than propelling forward, where now you look at the the flex feet, the the, the blades, and uh, which Oscar, yeah, Oscar Pistorius exactly, and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, get out there, and, and then you have the, the question, is it returning too much energy, giving mm. you advantage? Um so I've got a leg like that now, but when I started in triathlon, um, I had something better than what Terry had, but I didn't have one of those, those flex feet, uh, but I have one of those now, and uh, it definitely, I had to step up the game because that's what other people were bringing to the sport, and you just see the way sport and activities developed over the years because uh, you think, you know, what can I do, not what I can't do. Well, and if I recall, I read a story uh 
that there was a prosthetic leg that was being developed while he was running at McMaster that they finished shortly after. They never got to give it to him, but it was being designed for Terry Fox. Is that the one you were talking about? That's the one. It was through McMaster, was helping with it in, in Shadok Hospital at the time, the prosthetics and orthotics department there at Shadok uh, in combination with Mac. So, Grant, is the change then, and again, you've won world championships, you've been the Canadian outstanding paratriathlete, para I think is the, mm-hmm. I got the right word, paratriathlete, yeah, para, para of the word a number of times. Is all this a change merely then in technology, or is it also a change in attitude that people have that you can do this stuff? Oh, it's more than technology. It's definitely attitude, um, and, and it goes back to uh, what, what Terry showed what was possible. Just because you're, you're minus a leg, you, you figure out what you have to do to overcome that obstacle and, and go out there and do it. So the technologies help, but people's perceptions over time have definitely changed as well, and those uh, perceptions are definitely way more improved than when they were back in, in those days. He just opened everybody's eyes uh, again on what is possible out there. Well, it is a fascinating uh, thing to remember. It's a wonderful thing to remember. If people go online, I know that you can find it. The movie was called Terry. It was. It came out in 2005. It was, I believe, a made-for-TV CTV movie. You can find it somewhere. And when you do, when you see the when you see Terry Fox running from behind, that is Grant Darby from Hamilton, Ontario. Again, teacher at at uh, Bernie Custis. All the all the connections here. Grant, listen, I appreciate you taking a few moments today to talk about this. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Scott. Have a great day. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a cool story, and, and the fact that it was filmed here a lot, and uh, and you know what, a number of you listening, I guarantee you a number of you listening were there that day when Terry Fox came down York Boulevard. Guarantee it. Somebody called in, Ben says, already to say that they were there. I bet there was a lot of you. Send me a note, radley at 900chml.com. would love to hear from you. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900chml. Our good friend Don Robertson, who is here every Monday at this time, he is the owner and operator of Calm Choice Realty. Uh, he is a guy who uh, runs the Dundas Real McCoys when such things are allowed to be done. Um, he does all kinds of other things. Don, how are you tonight? I'm good, Scott. How are you? Right. How was Easter? Easter was terrific. I see by a text that Don knew the answer to this quiz question, so congratulations on uh, on knowing that one. Uh, don't give it away right now, but uh, yeah, Don, Don got it right away, so... Uh, I don't want to say if Don Robertson knows it, everyone can get it, because that's not true. Um, but uh, yes, Don did get it. Uh, by the way, if you're calling in, uh, Ben will get to you as fast as he can, so let the lines ring. He'll get there as quickly as he can. How was Easter for you, Don? Very quiet. Unusually quiet. Painfully quiet. But, as everybody else, you're making do. I will tell you, though, Sue's made the best Easter dinner I've ever had. Ham and scallop potatoes and... And the best part is, even though it's quiet, there's now triple or quadruple the amount of ham for you for later on for ham sandwiches. Well, you buy you buy the smallest one you can, right? And the small is apparently extra large. So, yeah, I don't know where they get the hams that are in the store. I think they've all been imported from Chernobyl because they oh. they are apparently all the size of water buffaloes. Yeah, and like a small picked up a small one. It was twenty six dollars. So you figure how big it was if you ever bought a ham. Wow. Uh, which sounds like a lot, unless you're the pig. <laughs> and then that doesn't and I seem, was yesterday. And that doesn't seem like such a high price if you're giving up your life for that dinner. Um, then you're saying 26 bucks, that's it? Come on. Um, uh, Don, let me ask you, the, uh, are you, what did you, other than eating dinner yesterday, which, you know, again, we all want to do, uh, are, are you one of these people who has been sitting in front of the TV watching replays of sporting events? No. Because in the last number of days, the Blue Jays have won their 1993 championship over the, uh, Phillies again, and the Raptors won their championship again, and Tiger Woods won the Masters again yesterday. Uh, I mean, if nothing else, they're compressing it so we can just see a lot of championships all in one day. Well, it is kind of cool. I would have watched the Masters again, um, watching the Raptors. When you watch it once in real time, it's really hard to get all excited. Although I was hoping to get time to, and I didn't, watch the Blue Jays championship because that was long enough ago that I would have went, holy crap, I kind of forgot this, forgot that, and well, the part that of it, one, that, that one I could have enjoyed, I think. The part of it, I mean, I've seen the, we've all seen the Joe Carter home run, touch them all, Joe, a million times. So that one, there's no, 
surprise value to it. The, the game that I did watch a part of and found myself being sucked into was either one or two games before that, which was the 15-14 game that the Blue Jays won over the yeah. Phillies. And I remember the score, but I remember almost nothing other than that of that game. And that one, I, I was, okay, you know what? This is almost new enough. It's so old, it's almost new enough that you can see it and still enjoy it. Well, when you get a score in a in the finals that's 14-15, there's a lot of probably unique stuff going on, right? I mean, the avid baseball guy can tell you play-by-play play how, how it unfolded, but so that's a pretty big number. That's a huge number. There's never been a World Series game with that kind of score before. 29 runs in a World Series game is a that's a lot that, that that's a big number in any hardball game but that's a big number for World Series. So why is it? What's your theory? And I mean I have one. I think everyone has one. But what's your theory on why it's so difficult to watch and enjoy most sporting events if you already know the score? Because you already know the result. Yeah, but you already know we watch movies a second time. Yeah, but you watch movies a second time, in my opinion, uh, in case you've missed something or you really enjoy it. And I think the reason that sporting events to watch the second time is the very reason that people like Sportsnet want and TSN want all the content they can get because it's in real time. So there's a lot more people going to watch that, the Raptors championship game, then there is is going to be watch Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid for the 75th time because you can go get ice cream, you can go get a coffee, you can take the dog for a walk because you, you know how it ends. In a sporting event, you can't, and there and there's little value as, as um, the pollsters will tell you in taping a game. And once you know the score, you don't even care. Like if you tape the Leaf game and you happen to hear it on the radio and you hear the result. You don't even want to watch the game, and I think that's the dynamic of it all. But that and would suggest, Don, that the only part of a sporting event that really matters is the last, well, what they used to say about NBA games, the last minute of the game. That the, If you only watch the end to see the result, then you're satisfied with that. Well, I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think it's quite that way because if that were the case, you'd just watch the highlights, right, or the epilogue of the event or, or like the movie or a TV show. I think when you're watching a sporting event, you want to watch the journey, just like a movie. You may have some idea how it's going to end, but you really want to watch it to see if that's how it ends. And I think that's fundamentally the difference. I don't think it's the end result. For the people, for the people that just want the end result, you have to fire the cleaner. Uh, for, the, for the people that just want the end result, they just watch sports highlights. They can watch Bubba. Yeah, no, I well or global. Yeah, yeah. Global. No, no, I, I I it just seems odd to me as I've been as I've been thinking about this and as I've been I mean, I've I've I watched a bit of the Masters yesterday and look, kudos to the folks who uh on CBS, I think it was CBS. Uh, it must have been CBS cuz Jim Nance was uh was doing it and what they did was they had him in the corner talking by Skype with Tiger Woods about what was going on in Tiger Woods' mind and how he was choosing his shots and everything else which made it a much more interesting behind-the-scenes look at it. So it wasn't just watching the Masters again. You were getting something new out of it. I'm frankly shocked that more stations, more people who are showing sports haven't done that kind of thing. To have a, it's almost, remember you, you, when you used to buy your DVDs, you would have the, uh, the commentary that you could run to hear what they were doing. That to me makes it new. That to me makes it something that you can watch for the first time or watch again, but it's for the first time. I agree 100%. I always think that if you can get a little background information or just what was going through the process, I, I always think that's interesting. That's why you're right at the end of a movie if they show you some of the outtakes, right? And you kind yeah. of go, oh, that, that's kind of cool. I like that. That was the outtake. Or um, the, the mistakes that are made or the missed calls that are made, right? I mean, I always find that fascinating. And that won't that, you're right. That will liven it up enough, Scott, to create a lot of interest. And I can on I, I can see now. I mean, we know that things are changing under our feet with what's going on right now. We we know that people are out of necessity changing their lives, and TV stations and radio stations and newspapers and everyone are doing things a little bit differently. I can almost guarantee you 
that there were a lot of TV people who watched that Masters replay yesterday with with uh, Nance and with Tiger Woods, and there were a lot of producers and executive producers and executives saying, wait a second, all right, we're going to show the Jays' 93 World Series run again, but this time we're going to have all these guys in the screen talking about it because we can show it a third time and it can be brand new for everybody. I, I would, I am expecting that in the next few weeks, that is going to be the new thing. The, the, okay. the, 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 the athlete commenting on what was happening at that time. The athlete or in the, in, in the Blue Jays replay, it w- I think it would be fun to sit with Cito Gaston. Sure. And saying, you made this switch. Why'd you make this switch when everybody else thought this was the natural thing to do? You didn't put Ricky Henderson in here. This is who you put in here. What was the mindset to save Ricky Henderson? And there would be some games that you plan on. And I'll carry on with Ricky Henderson. You you didn't put him in, and he never even played. Well, because he'd have went in if this would have happened, and that was the circumstances. I think in baseball, which is far more of a chess game, it would be far more intriguing. Or, you know, I mean, Taggart can sit there and call his shots. And it's pretty easy to comment on him when he's saying, here's what I really plan to do. And he's the only guy that knows if that's the truth or not, because he may have tried to do this shot, but the way that's it turned right. out, he missed it. And it ended up right beside the pin and the store. I mean, I've never been real close to the pin on a golf shot, but the odd occasion when it happens, I tell somebody that's exactly how I played it. And I was with my buddy. Well, and Tiger. I was Cope Town Woods one day and he said, it hit a rock. <laughs> but Tiger Woods, yeah, I, I mean, know, he, but I knew where the rock was. He's a pretty flat guy when it comes to talking. And you're right. You don't know. I mean, at some points in this thing, he was saying, well, you know, they, uh, Jim Nance asked him, he said, did you see that, um, uh, whatever his name was, uh, put the ball in the water right in front of you? And he goes, no, I never saw that. And it's like, I, I, you know what? He, he, what we've heard is that Tiger Woods sees pretty much everything on a golf course. He, he knows what's going on. And it was like, Okay, I I love that you're telling all this stuff behind the scenes, but I don't really believe some of what you're telling us because, you know... He's the, he's the only one in the world that really knows the truth. And if that doesn't play into the story, you know, not that he would have any reason to lie, but it makes a better story if you make some of it up. Well, you want to maintain the um, the, the legend of yourself as well. Yeah. If, if you're a superstar athlete, you don't want to be giving stuff away that at the end people go, really, you had no intention of doing that and that's what happened and it just worked out for you? Wow, that was lucky. No, you want people to go, wow. You know, there, there was a, a clip the other day that was shown on TV, I don't know why it was being shown, of Babe Ruth calling his shot at Wrigley Field. And yep. there's uh, oodles of evidence to suggest Babe Ruth never called his shot. If you look at the picture, he's actually pointing at the Cubs dugout, screaming at someone who was chirping him. But the the way that some people saw, he pointed and thought that he was pointing to the fence. Well, in later life, Babe Ruth was more than happy to play along with the, I called my shot and the good Lord helped me hit the ball out that day and whatever. And it's like, yeah, because Babe Ruth coming up after and going, I never called my shot. Are you people nuts? That doesn't help. No, it's well, and, and those legends grow like Yogi Berra. Nobody goes there anymore because it's too busy. Yeah, I mean, Yogi used to. Well, I didn't say that. And then by the end of the at the end of uh, the Yogi Berra cycle, he attributed himself to all of them, and some of them were funny. And I, for sure, he didn't say half of them. But you know what? As time goes on, yeah, I did. I mean. Look at Scott. We were all younger, faster, could jump higher, hit a ball further as we get older. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that's part of the legend. Oh, yeah. Well, and there's different things that we, if you can't prove something, if there's no video proof or any kind of proof, look, there's a story that, that Mickey Mantle hit a home run 680 feet or something. Well, look, Mickey Mantle would have had to have fired that out of a cannon. There's no way you could hit a ball 680 feet, but that's the official thing. And and the reason why, because we didn't use anything like physics or anything back then to say that, you know, the ball doesn't travel in a perfect parabola. So when it slammed into the seats at, while it was still climbing, that's not halfway. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? Like there's, we, we, there are things that have happened that build the legend and we love the legends, but they're not all hundred percent true. 
And if you get one of these athletes on who can be very entertaining, they're either going to tell you the legend or they're going to tell you the truth. And both, both, both are okay, I guess. I think Gaston, it would be brilliant to sit with Gaston, uh, Cito, of course, um, and go through that play. You may not have to play the whole game, but take or play the whole game and bring him in for strategical moves. You know, why did you bring the Terminator in? Normally, you don't bring him in at this time. Mm-hmm. This game, you did, and he may he may be really boring. And say, look, guys, it was all a hunch, the whole thing. Yep. And I would love to have it with the other manager too, but unfortunately, Bobby Cox and Jim Fergosi are both passed away, so you can't even have the two managers going back and forth with their with their strategy. And again, Don, you have to trust that these guys are going to tell you what they were really doing because some of these moves may have been really stupid and they don't really want to say afterwards, well, you know, I just had a brain fart, but it worked out or it didn't work out. Or And, and bring them in on the ones that didn't work. Like, you, you know, you bring somebody in to close that was kind of an unusual pick and it backfires. You want him to just tell you the truth. If they would. Like, and a good guy would. He'd say, look at that. That was a hunch. Jeez, I, I quit running with hunches after that. That was <laughs> yeah. crazy. Yeah, no, it, it has potential for sure. And I can see this happening a lot now. I can see this happening a lot. And I can even see this happening. Well, we've seen it in a way, and we've got to take a break. We've seen it in a way happen in the NFL Tony Romo has kind of done this where he's doing it in real time, which is why Tony Romo has become a star. He's been a- a- anticipating what the play is going to be before it's called. And then you, that's why Tony Romo is now being paid a fortune to be an analyst because he can do this looking forward rather than looking backwards. Uh, I think everybody is now going to be looking for something like this. Let's get somebody in here who can tell us in, in, this, in this kind of way what's going on that we haven't seen before. And I think what we're seeing right now out of necessity is showing just how good it can be when you do it. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. The thing that really stood out from this weekend was uh, we heard that the XFL has now declared bankruptcy and is now stopping again. Is this the last pro football league attempt someone is going to make that's not the NFL because it just it seems almost masochistic financially of these people every time who start football leagues that inevitably fail almost immediately well um the WWF guy um Vince McMahon run another yeah Vince McMahon has got to be run another dole I think he saves it up to try this but the actual fact, and I think you'd have to be an American, Scott, to best answer that question, but the, the lens I'd look at it through would be this, that you'd be far better off trying to start up what would be the equivalent of the American Hockey League to the NFL, and just starting with six teams in stadiums that only hold 25,000 people, um, or you wanted to start up a rival league, I think the CFL made a mistake by going to the to the U.S., although it was unique because. But they went to the bigger stadiums. But I think it, it, if you you can't compete with the NFL, it's just too huge. You can't take a running shot at them. I mean, all you're going to do is pick up a bunch of the former stars and guys that are at the end of the rope and everything else. You can't sell it as something that's on on par. At a double-A level, if you want to call the NFL triple-A, then if you want to go to double-A level like the American Hockey League is and double-A baseball in the United States, I mean, that works. Triple-A uh, baseball works. Double-A baseball works. Single-A baseball works. Just put it all in your own perspective and be happy with that. I think there's But those places, network. those leagues aren't trying to compete with MLB. They've, they've decided that they're carving out their niche. And and that, and that's what I mean. When well, I guess I misunderstood the question. No, no. That's I what... think I think that's how a second league in the United States could be successful. Yes, yes, maybe. Just maybe. know your place in life. See, I've you are not an A market. You are a B market. You're in Toledo, or you're in Grand Rapids, or you know, pick a number of different cities. Tulsa. I mean, there's all kinds of places you could do it, and build up a real good league. And if you do it really well, 
then the NFL might even put some players in there for you and let them develop after college. And that would probably hurt the CFL if they did that. Well, I've never understood why the NFL doesn't have a farm system, except for one thing, they don't really need to have a farm system because there's such a deep well of available players, I suppose. But if you had a 31-team farm league that played in the offseason with each team connected to a team like the AHL, and you paid guys not very much, like you paid them CFL money, with the hope that they could be part of a team and maybe make it in. That, to me, is the only way, as you say, that's the only way this thing works. But every one of these leagues that's ever started, Don, has seemed to take aim at the NFL and say, we're going to provide an alternative. And that is, it's just an insane business model because it has failed so often, yet people do it. There have been all kinds of attempts, Scott, in Canada to come up with a Canadian Hockey League to take take a run at the NHL. Most of them don't even get off the ground, like the WHA did back in 72, right? Which which was the closest, which was the closest, which was the closest. And that's back when there was maybe a dozen teams in the NHL, right? So there was probably more room in the marketplace. But I think if if football wanted to set up, and I wouldn't know as I go with total offseason, I would almost like overlap part of it so that you can actually immediately call guys up and down. You would have thought that basketball would have stayed with the NCAA as their farm system and their breeding ground, if you will, to, to take the best players. But even even the NBA have a B-League now. They call it the D-League. Yeah, G-League. You, G, change to the G-League. They just keep moving the letters around, yeah. All right, whatever it is. But <laughs> you know what I mean. But they, they've all yeah. kind of got a farm team. And um, and I think that works well with them. And I think if you had some smart guys that started like a six or an eight-team league in the smaller centers, I think you'd build it up to 30, 30 teams, and you could have a farm system. That financially could be very viable because you could make it relevant in their own communities. Play it on Wednesday now, nights, let's say. Well, I, I was going to say, in, in the States, I mean, I remember uh, the Brantford Smoke Days in minor pro hockey going to a scheduling meeting and Muskegon wouldn't play Friday nights until December. And we went out for a, a cup of tea afterwards. And I said, what's the big deal? Well, you don't want Fridays? He said, we can't compete against football. Yep, yep. Well, Friday is high school football. Saturday is college football. Sunday is the NFL. And now Thursday is also the NFL. And Monday is the NFL. So you've got Tuesday and Wednesday if you were going to start a, a farm league. The, the other big problem you have if you're going to start a farm league, if the NFL was going to start a farm league, is it's the one sport where you know you're going to have guys get banged up. So it's not just paying the small salaries. It's all the medical stuff and the insurance and the long-term medical stuff and, you know, all that kind of thing. It, and if you're the NFL and you don't need a farm league, because why have they ever needed a farm league? Um, I, I don't know why you start. But short of that, I can't see any other league that comes along now that starts it, but I guarantee, I'm almost willing to guarantee, Don, that someone out there is going to be narcissistic enough down the road to believe that he or she can compete with the NFL, and we will probably see another attempt at some point by somebody. He might be president right now. Oh, he's already done it. Don't forget, he was in the USFL. USFL had New Jersey Generals, yep. No, but, but again, I, I, I don't think he can do it. In conjunction with the NFL, Scott, my thought process would be you'd have to be an independent group. You'd have to be some well-heeled guys that say, this is how we're going to start it, and we're going to make it so good, and we're going to be so sound financially. And I think that there's enough places out there that will, that there's enough networks out there. You could get a small, you could build that thing up crowd-wise and revenue-wise to match the CFL rather quickly because there's so many networks starved for that. And if you put it on a Wednesday night and it's in the summertime and your primetime shows aren't coming on, you wouldn't need gobs of money, but you could get enough. Well, who are the two? So the two leagues that have in sports, I I believe, well, maybe the ABA as well in basketball. That's a while back, though, now. In, In more recent times, the USFL for football and the WHA, those two leagues were able to take a run at the big leagues, at the NHL and the and the NFL, because it was at a time when salaries were in those other leagues, in the NFL and NHL, were not so high that if you had a bunch of rich guys come in, you could offer salaries that exceeded those 
in those established leagues. Well, now quarterbacks are making $35 million a year in the NFL. What kind of salary can you possibly offer in a startup league to try and draw players away from the NFL? You can't. So that, that, that door has closed. Yeah, but that's right. That, that's why you can't, that's why I said you can't compete with the NFL. But if you put a salary cap in, in place that mirrored the CFL, because half, half the players in the CFL are Americans, and they come up and play for Canadian dollars. So there's lots of evidence to prove that there's enough players that will play for that kind of money with a chance to even get to the NFL, or they'd rather do that than have a full-time job. So there's evidence there that the Americans will play for that level of money. Yep. I, 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 the amazing thing to me, too, we got to go here. Uh, the amazing thing to me, too, is in recent years, they did try or they talked about trying to revitalize the WHA. That didn't go anywhere. That never got off the ground. Uh, basketball, I don't think there's been, that I can think of, any other attempt to take on the NBA. That's just been a non-starter. And baseball, there's nothing there. It's for some reason only the folks who are involved in football believe their league that they can come up with a league that can take on the NFL. And the irony of that is of all the leagues, the NFL is the strongest. So the one that you look at and say it's the biggest, best, strongest league is the one people keep trying to take shots at, which just seems to me to be flushing your money down the toilet. But that's because there's so much TV revenue and there's so much. The upside is so huge if you can pull it off. Like if you invest $100 million, if you pull it off, your $100 million turns into a billion yeah, in a heartbeat. I know. Like the upside's big. But, Don, that's like saying the upside, okay, you're going to pay me a million dollars if I can lift a, if I can carry my car home. Well, of course I can. I mean, I can say, sure, that's a great risk. I'll put $1,000 down on that bet. But I know I can't do it. And at this point, you have to know you can't beat the NFL or take on the NFL. So it's just, it, yeah, you're, the upside is huge, but there doesn't seem to be an upside because you can never do it. Anyway. Not, if your, not if your ego is big enough. And there's, a, there's enough guys in the States with a big ego and a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. No, I, well, clearly, clearly. Or, and maybe some guys who have not been able to buy their way into ownership in the NFL who just so desperately want to own a football team that they're willing to risk that dough. I don't know. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Don Robertson not in studio, of course, since, uh, you know, not allowed to do that anymore. So, Are you there? I am in studio, yes, but Don is at uh, Robertson Acres, which uh, the gated community of Robertson Acres. Alberton, Ontario. Well, there you go. So when you're driving through Alberton, Ontario, just look for the big house on a hill. 72,000 square feet with turrets and armed guards on every corner. And that is Don Robertson's house. You can find it from anywhere. Uh, Don, I was listening to a football coach, a a college football coach the other day, talking about how uh, it was going to be a disaster if sports, if they announced all of a sudden that football was going to start in September, but that you couldn't gather to get football going again until late August, because it's going to take at least six weeks, the coach said, to train up, to coach up his team to play football. And I'm thinking to myself as I hear this, this to me sounds like the best idea ever, to have sports start after, like announce it on Friday and we're starting on Saturday because this would be the best opportunity in decades to remove overcoaching out of the game and just let players play and see who's the best. You you like that, don't you? I you do. Really, you really want to go without coaches. So the problem, one of the problems might be, and I I haven't spent a lot of time coaching U.S. Uh, NCAA football, but they may have to pick the team. Well, perhaps, although I think they have a pretty good idea. I mean, you could, you, with any of these teams in any of these sports, you have a pretty good idea. You could you could whittle it down reasonably quickly, and maybe a day is too short, so a week. Okay, so you got a week to have your tryouts and get going. I, I Like, I, I'm not against coaches, per se. I just think that there are a lot of coaches that overcoach to the point where they take a lot of the players' skill and creativity and freedom out of the game. And this would be a really interesting thing to see what happens if a hockey comes back and you have not been able to coach these guys. Let's see what the Leafs can do if they don't have coaching. I mean, it's not going to be any worse than if they did. I'm not convinced the real McCoys wouldn't be better. Well, I mean, a lot of teams, though, Don. I mean, these players are talented. That's why they're playing the game. And then a lot of coaches, not all, but a lot of coaches suck the creativity out of them. 
a former sports broadcaster and in, in, in who's now retired, Bob McCowan, used to say, I, don't, I think the job of a manager in baseball is the most overrated coaching position in sports. And I, I, it'd be hard to disagree with that because the players know when to bunch situations up, right? Now, in football, nobody else is going to read what the defense is doing quite as quickly or quite as well. But the quarterbacks figure it out pretty quickly. Football you would know? be amazing to watch if you did not have the entire playbook in play, that every team had five plays or six plays or ten plays that they had perfected. That It would be fantastic to watch and see what they would come up with. Well, let me tell you this. When Iverwind Stadium was full of Joe Zuger and Angelo Mosca were playing and they weren't being told what plays to call and nobody was up at, in the press box telling them what to do, the stadium was full and the games were pretty exciting. And Chuck Ely was calling those plays most of the time, or whoever was quarterback. In, in, in 72, sure. Yeah, or whoever was quarterback. Like they, did, they, they weren't total robots. You, you let the athleticism, the leadership of the quarterback, and the ability of the athletes themselves to determine how to get open. And you know they'd come back to a huddle and say, look, this is what I can do to this guy. I'm yep. just going to go out 10 and turn right, make sure the ball's there. He won't be anywhere near me. I mean, that you're right. I mean, it, there, there, it's an absolute fact that it's been done, but that's back in the old days when it was likely only half a dozen coaches. Now there's in the NFL, there's a coach for every player. But I don't look at the with a comment that I heard from the coach, and I can't even remember who which coach it was. So I'm not going to hang someone out to dry because I can't remember who it was. But to, to me, when I heard that, my initial reaction was, uh, as a coach, you're not saying this. Because you really don't, th- in my mind, you don't. Re- you're not really saying this because you really don't think they can play. You're saying this because if your guys go out and play great, now what's the point of you? Well, you're trying to justify his existence. That's what There's I mean. No question about that. That's what I mean. If you, but, if those guys go out there and they look great because they're so athletic, you have just shown well, yourself to be largely irrelevant. Except as a, except as a recruiter in college football, you got to be a good recruiter. But here, here would be the interesting thing. If, if your team went out and did very poorly, you could say it's, bec- it's because I didn't, they didn't have my guidance. But if you had a semi-mediocre team and you went out and went 6-1, and one, that poor coach may as well just go home. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. And, How did and- you do that? And, and, and this is where you want the truth. I have no idea. I had nothing to do with this record. Because you would right. be then just simply relying on the skill and the talent of the players that you have in front of you, which again is why they're there, presumably, because they're good players. So here, here's where the spin would come from when they're 6-1. and one. Look, at, I knew that Radley kid when I watched him play in Flint in high school. He could do this. That's why I brought him to our college. That's how they would center it around themselves and justify their existence be the only thing they could hang their hat on. What you would end up with is rather than calling these guys coaches, they would be being paid to be recruiters, to be guys who could lure the players to come to their school because that would be the important part. And, and, and that's, half, that's half of what it is anyways. Right? It is. You build and, the right program, boy. And not just, the in right... the, not just in amateurs, Don, not just in college. You could do that in, in pro sports. If you can lure the right free agents and then let them go, sure. Well, I think the Frank... The right free agent in sports, uh, the the interest and study I've had on it is, you know what, you can go to the last place team that offers you $8 million or more than the other guy. You say, I really see something here I like. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's a crazy owner that just paid you too much money. <laughs> it's, not, it's not untrue. Nonetheless, it's, uh, I, I do laugh because, yes, how many players have we heard? Uh, oh no! I really, I, I really believe in this team. I think we're, uh, I think we've got something going here. And it's like going. You finished seventy-eight points out of first place in your division. Where, where, where are you going? Well, I'm going to the bank. Is where I'm going. And, and you guys all know, Coach Radley won that Junior B All Ontario Championship thirty-four years ago. <laughs> he can take us to the promised land. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, he's shown no evidence that he's anything other than insane for the last five years. But nonetheless, I really believe there's something there. Walking around mumbling to himself all the time. So let me ask you this because I've been thinking about it today. Sure. And my mind's starting to go. When we talked about greatest sporting moments, we talked about Henderson's goal. We talked yes. about Crosby's yep. goal, um, Kawhi. Did, did either one of us bring up, I would hope I did or you did, 
uh, Mike Weir's win at the Masters? I think we did, but I don't, I don't remember. Maybe not, but it should be there for sure. It absolutely, well, it should it's be there. Masters weekend. That's what made me think of it. Absolutely, it should I be there. That was, that was a pretty big deal. Uh, more than a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. That was. Uh, I, I. I always. I don't rem- only remember him winning. But I remember the next day or two or three days later when he showed up to drop the puck in, at the Leaf game and the ovation for Mike Weir, you realize what a crossover superstar he had just become, that everybody knew who Mike Weir was. And it was not long after, what, what did he win, in 2003, I think? 17 years ago. So in 2006, 2006, Hamilton hosted, well, that later that year, uh, he came to Hamilton Golf and Country Club for the Canadian Open. And trying to get an interview with Mike Weir was like trying to interview Queen Elizabeth. Like there was just, you just could not get anywhere close to the guy because there was so much demand. He was such a star. It was unbelievable. Uh, Don Robertson, appreciate you doing this today as every Monday. Thanks so much for doing this. Thanks, Scott. Have a great week. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.